Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. The war in Gaza has killed more than 23,000 Palestinians, mostly women and children, over the last 12 weeks. During that period, the U.S. has sent billions of dollars in military aid to Israel and approved emergency weapons sales to the country. The State Department says it has helped evacuate 1,300 Palestinian Americans from the Strip. Meanwhile, roughly 300 Americans and their families remain stuck there. In Chicago, the El family has spent the last three months trying from afar to get their displaced relatives to safety. Some of them are injured, and some are U.S. citizens. They and many other Americans with family in Gaza say that they've gotten almost no help from the U.S. government. Now the family is suing the Biden administration. On Thursday, we talked with Yasmin El She's a law student at Northwestern University, and she started by talking about who from her family is currently in Gaza. So my family has spent more than 500 years in Gaza. So we are thousands and thousands of people. Um, the family that is closest to me in Gaza is my paternal uncle and his five kids. I have also my grandparents there. I have a mentally disabled uncle. And those are the people who are closest to my heart. Obviously, all my family is so close to me, but those yeah. are the people who truly have my heart. When was the last time you heard from them? I have had connection for a couple of days with them. So the last I heard from my cousin was two days ago. And the age range that we're talking about here? So uh, the youngest is seven years old. The oldest child is 20. And the rest are, you know, range from, you know, mid-50s to, you know, my grandparents around 86. And so you mentioned the, the cousins, the uncle. Who are the U.S. citizens among the group? So the U.S. citizens are my uncle's two oldest children. Mm-hmm. Their names are Hashem al-Agha and Burak al-Agha. Um, they're 18 and 20 years old. They were born in the U.S. They were raised here. We were raised together for the first few years of our lives. Okay. And then they moved back to Gaza. And we also understand, Yasmin, that some of your family members have been injured, right? Uh, what types of inju- injuries have they sustained? So a few weeks ago, my family fled uh, from their home in middle in central Khan Yunus, and they're currently in western Khan Yunus, and that was designated as the safer zone. Um, but an airstrike, several airstrikes actually hit just feet away from their home. All the glass in the house shattered, the doors were blown off, um, and my uncle was injured um, on his head from a piece of shrapnel that was flying. So I have actually mm. gotten received photos from my cousins of pieces of shrapnel in their home. My goodness. What else do you know about their conditions and and how everyone's doing? So they're running out of food and water. Um, They are almost, you know, nearing the point of starvation. Um, I asked him, what do you eat in a day? And he said, a few slices of cheese, a tomato if we can find it. They're also sheltering with 30 people, which they weren't expecting. So food supply is very, very low. Um, My grandparents are diabetics. They have high blood pressure. Um, my uncle is mentally disabled. He has a life-saving medication that he's been on since he was 10 years old. He's 51 now. He is having severe withdrawal symptoms. He's having seizures. He's having convulsions. He's never not been on this medication. He's out of it now. My grandparents are out of their medication. Um, the two American cousins, Hashem and Burak, Hashem has a broken leg, 
and it's likely infected. It's swollen. He's unable to walk on it. Wow. Burak had several surgeries before October 7th, and they haven't healed properly. So he is also likely um, infected. So they don't have any medication. He's been sick recently, and they couldn't find any medication or anything. So it's from all fronts. It is truly a nightmare situation. So no treatment, no medication. Nothing. Is there anywhere that they can go to get medical help right now? So they've tried to access medication. There was a store that they heard was selling medication. Um, and Burak and my aunt actually tried to make the trip from the shelter to go and get the medication. And they were shot at by Israeli tanks. And they saw people in the street get shot and killed. So they totally abandoned their mission and they fled back to the shelter. So even when you try to access medication, when you try to access any kind of food um, and water, I mean, it's, it's so dangerous. My cousin also, Burak, was telling me that they walk a kilometer a day minimum to access contaminated water. And that's the only water that they have to drink. So listening to you talk about all these conditions and the injuries that your family is sustaining, what's it like for you? here in, in America trying to still get in contact with them. You haven't heard from them in two days. I mean, this could be getting worse. And every period that I don't hear from them, truly the one thought that goes through my head is they could be dead right now and I don't know it. And it is such a feeling of powerlessness, especially being in the U.S., being born and raised in the U.S., having the privilege of an American citizenship, having the advocacy that one would expect of their elective, elected officials. Um, and I have been lobbying on all fronts. I have spoken to all of my Congress people. I have spoken to, you know, officials within the State Department. I've talked to the call center. I've talked to all the embassies, Jerusalem, Cairo, Tel Aviv, everyone. I have done, I've exhausted every front of advocacy and it's resulted in nothing. My family tried to cross the border three times and was rejected every single time. What did they tell them? Um, each time it was something new. So the first time they said, not all of you are on the list, even though the people who are not on the list are caretakers for people who are on the exit list. So the people on the exit list at this point are my grandparents who are 86 years old and young children, 7, 12 years old. Mm. There's no way they're making it to another country on their own. Um, and by the list, you mean the list of people who can cross. Yes, the exit list. And so none of these people can cross alone. And that has been something that is totally overlooked. And nobody at the border seems to care. Nobody at the American side, Egyptian, Palestine, nobody seems to care. Mm. Um, so you're, you're suing the Biden administration and in a lawsuit filed last month, accused the State Department of denying your Palestinian American family equal protection under the Constitution. Tell us more, Yasmin, about this suit and, and all that led up to it. Yeah. In the first week after October 7th, Israeli Americans were flown back to the U.S. on U.S. charter flights and brought here on cruise ships. And Palestinian Americans have been totally left for dead. I mean, the U.S. has made almost no effort to actually, actually not almost no effort, has truly made no effort to evacuate Palestinian Americans from Gaza. And all the state officials that I've spoken to, all of the State Department officials have told me, we don't have a ground presence. There's nothing we can do. One woman who is the lead of the task force on Gaza told me, we can't choose where people live. They're stuck there. There's nothing we can do. And hmm. so what the U.S. government is showing is that when 
Israelis and Palestinians are both American, they will assist the Israelis and they will leave the Palestinians for dead. It is so blatant. It's so obvious. Um, it is discrimination out in the open. And the U.S. has claimed that it is powerless to do anything, but it somehow found the power to fly and ship Israelis back to the U.S. Mm. So you haven't been able to talk to or get in touch with any representatives from the State Department or th that U.S. embassy in, in Jerusalem? No one. I've spoken with them. They are, Many of them know me by name at this point. Um, from what I hear from the lawyers, um, people are talking about this in government, but nobody has actually done anything about it. So what specifically are they telling you or advising you to do? I keep getting boilerplate language in my email replies. Um, the language just centers around, we continue to advocate for all Americans to be evacuated. We advise your family if they have appeared on the exit list to attempt to cross. We have heeded what the State Department has instructed us. Mm -hmm. It has led to no results every single time. And, you know, just to paint you a picture, the path to the Rafah border crossing is very dangerous. So you're talking about people who are targeted with airstrikes as they are attempting to flee for their life out of the country that they love, that they grew up in, that is their home. And at the border, I mean, my cousin the other day sent me a video of an airstrike coming down as they were at the Rafah border crossing. And my grandparents are elderly. And the just the journey there, just being in the car for the entire ride there, it's not safe. It's It makes them physically ill. And then you have a mentally disabled person. You have children. Your uncle. It is, yeah, it is, it's such a difficult journey to even get there. And they have made the trek so many times. And every time they come back exhausted, defeated, and it makes me just feel so furious and powerless at the same time. I'm trying to do everything I can, and there is truly, it is out of my hands, and the U.S. at the same time has totally washed its hands of it. So I'm left here thinking, then whose hands is it in? Yeah, it's been a painful three months for, for people affected by the war in, in Gaza. I can only imagine what it's been like for you to watch, essentially, the death toll mount in Gaza, and you have to do it all the way from here in the Chicago area, and your only source is, is a telephone yeah. to whoever will, will answer and give you like direct responses. What's yeah. that like? I mean, I have literally gotten PTSD from my phone. I have over 120 family members who have been killed already just in the past three months. I'm so sorry. And. Every time I don't hear from them, all I can think is they've been added to this 120 number. They've been added to this 30,000 plus number of people who have been killed. And it is truly my nightmare to open my phone and see that. And it's gotten to the point that I literally like I don't get any rest from it. I think about it all day long. I dream about it when I do sleep. I haven't been sleeping at all. But when I do sleep, I literally get dreams of my family has been killed. This is how I'm reacting to the news. So it is a 24-7 ordeal, and it is truly a hellish nightmare to be living. And remind us how far you got with Illinois Congress folks. So I spoke with Senator Durbin, and I have a direct line of contact with, you know, his director of constituent services. Yeah. And she's very familiar with the case. I've had my lawyer speak to her. I've had so many people. We did a campaign a few weeks ago 
um, for people to call the representatives. So representatives all across the country are very aware of this. I've gotten calls from Congress people all over the country, but specifically with Senator Durbin, every time I call and I try to push and I ask, what is there that you can do? I voted for you in this past election. How are you going to assist me? And I haven't received any assistance. I asked for a meeting, I requested a meeting, and the response that I got was, it's the end of the year, the senator is busy, there's a lot of important stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And I specifically told the representative, or the um, director, I told her, I really hope that my family's lives actively at stake in danger is important to the senator. And she said, yes, of course, but you understand it's a busy time. So I'm expected to make all of these concessions while not one single person is catering to me and my needs, but at the same time ask to continue to vote for these people and continue to advocate and vouch for them. So it truly feels like I'm giving everything and receiving nothing. What are your memories of Gaza, your personal memories? Such beautiful memories. Um, when I was going to Gaza last year, I had so many people tell me, oh my God, it's so unsafe. You're gonna be, you should be careful. Are you sure you want to go? And I cannot emphasize enough how much Gaza has been the one place where I truly feel safe. You can go out in the middle of the night, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., not, I would never even look over my shoulder once. I've never done that in the United States. I'm born and raised here. I would never dare go out at that time in the area that I live. <laughs> but um, in Gaza, you could. A hundred percent. And my family is just so warm and loving. And truly when I'm with them, there is always a smile on everyone's face. Yeah. I mean, I look back at the photos every time I'm feeling down and I, I like play the live photos. I watch the videos and truly I tear up because I think about how much it was the one time in my life that I felt safe, that I felt like I belonged, like people saw me. It was so beautiful to hear my language around me, my dialect around me, mm -hmm. my people. Um, Do you hope to be able to visit again one of day? Of course, of course. I was supposed to be in Gaza now. I had planned a trip for this December. Um, I don't know if it's possible for me to go back. Um, the death and destruction is just so enormous that the Gaza that I knew will never be. But something that I think is so beautiful is everyone who I speak to in Gaza, and my cousins included, my family included, all say Gaza will be back and it will be more beautiful than it was before. The Gaza that you saw will not be because the next Gaza will be even more beautiful. Mm. So even in all the strife that they're in, they continue to have this hope. I don't know where they get it from. I think it's faith that really grounds them, but yeah, I, it's, it's just, it's so beautiful and it is so calming. Before I let you go, Yasmin, what is next for this lawsuit? I mean, the U.S. has fully washed its hands of my family's lives, of these American-Palestinian lives. Um, and we have, you know, all but been told, go and figure it out with Egypt and Israel. So at this point, we are trying to tap, you know, Egyptian contacts, Israeli contacts, just to try to figure out a way to get my family out. My one priority, my one goal is to get my family out of Gaza bring them to safety. And it's not because, you know, they're dying to leave Gaza. It's because their lives are at stake because Israel has put their lives at stake. So it's just a continuous effort to try to protect my family against Israeli violence. That's Yasmin El-Hakha, the Northwestern law student who's suing the Biden administration 
over its failure to evacuate Americans trapped in Gaza, including members of her own family. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Yasmin. Thank you for having me. Take care. Thank you. That episode was produced by Meha Ahmed and edited by Dan Tucker and Ethan Schwab. For more of our coverage on how the war in Gaza impacts people in Chicagoland, head over to wbez.org slash reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk again tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.